Coming up on today's Tomahawk Show, we're going to talk about the withdrawal or not withdrawal that I went through watching my first weekend of NFL football from my couch, not associated with the team in over 12 seasons. We're going to cover all the biggest storylines from a wild week one in the NFL, including the crazy game in Green Bay where Aaron Rodgers did his best Jesus Christ impression and resurrected himself from the dead, came back, led his team to a victory against the Bears, against all odds. And of course, the freaking tie that happened in Cleveland with the Browns and the Steelers and all the young QBs that are trying to take the league by storm. Hawk and I are going to pick our week one standouts as well as the trio of standout players from week one. All that and much, much more coming up on the Tomahawk Show. Welcome. Welcome to the Tomahawk Show presented by Uninterrupted. I am Andrew Hawkins, joined as always by my co-host, 30-year NFL veteran, 27-time Pro Bowler, four-time Super Bowl winner, Joe Thomas, as well as my guy, NFD, like always. Listen, before we jump into it, make sure you follow us on all social media at Tomahawk Show. Hashtag us Tomahawk whenever you have anything you want to talk about. We'll make sure we try to get it onto the show. Also, DraftKings. We got a listener league. Get in it. We had a little technical difficulties, which we'll talk about. But regardless, if you haven't signed up, hit head to DraftKings.com, enter code HIKE, H-I-K-E, and you'll get a discount courtesy of Tomahawk Show. Joe, how you doing today, man? I'm doing great, man. I had a huge weekend. Uh, I had my fourth child born Friday night about 11 p.m. And uh, a few hectic days after that, obviously, anybody that's had a New baby understands that you don't really sleep a lot, and it's uh, a little bit crazy, especially with three other little ones running around. And of course, my first weekend uh, in 11 years not playing in the NFL or being on wow. a team uh, for a Sunday. So it was a lot of fun. I got to sit on my couch and enjoy for the very first time my two TV setup. I got the NFL direct ticket or whatever the hell they call it. And uh, I can watch any games that I want. So I put on the left TV the Browns game. And then on the right TV, I watched the Patriots versus the Texans. And it was a lot of fun. I, I sat there on my couch by myself for the most part and watched the games, took some notes, did some live tweeting, did some recaps, threw them up on my Twitter page, and generally had an awesome, awesome, fun weekend watching uh, pro football. You what seem like you? a lost puppy if I must say so myself. When I was watching you live on social media, you seemed like a guy who had no idea what the hell to do with himself. Yeah, yeah, no. Trust me, it was, it was fun. It was great watching other people work. Live media recaps, uh, tweets, notes. When I seen your notes, I'm like, you took more notes today than you did before we played games. <laughs> That's false. I was a big note taker, but we'll go with it. The sake of the joke. No, that's cool, man. So was it weird not playing? Would you have rather have done what you did yesterday as opposed to playing at this point in your life? Keep it real. You know, at this point in my life, I just know where my body is and I just know I can't do it anymore. I know I, I can't handle the practice. I can't handle the preparation. And even though the three hours of game day would be a lot of fun, I know that the second I walked off that field, I'd be in debilitating pain and they'd probably <laughs> be putting me in a wheelchair. So um, I think I, I'm very comfortable and I'm very accepting of the fact that I just can't play the NFL anymore. Can't and handle the fun. practice. You didn't practice the last three years yeah. of your career. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's the problem. I couldn't I practice even there. less than no practices. So whatever <laughs> that number is. Um, but even though I tell you what, when I was watching the Browns game and the beginning of the game started, it was raining. It was nasty conditions, which is what I love playing. And unlike Hawk, I, I love the colder and the wetter, the better. Um, oh, and God. you just see those fans and how lubed up everybody is and the excitement and pageantry around, especially week one. It was always a special week, an emotional week for me when I was playing. And uh, I definitely missed being out there and being part of some successes. You know, that was a, a really good, close game in Cleveland. Obviously, it was a little bit back and forth. And then um, the way it ended in a tie was pretty crazy. But we'll talk about that a little bit later. But um, Either way, I, I did miss it at the beginning, but I still had it in the back of my mind that, you know, I can't do this. So there was no, never any second thoughts about did I make the right decision to retire? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. This is obviously my second year 
not being there on opening day. And I can honestly say I was more excited this year than I was last year. Last year with opening day, I was kind of like, oh, man, thank God I'm not out there. Probably because your body is still feeling the effects of playing. This year, not that I wish that I was out there, but like you said, when the games were getting going, I forget what video it was, but it showed like a, a field angle of a player like getting juiced for a game. And I could feel like those emotions go through my body again. Yeah. And then when it was like late in the game. So for people who don't know, I have a radio show on ESPN. During game time, one to five, we watch all the games, kind of go through everything almost like a red zone for radio. When the browns Steeler game was coming down to the wire, I was so juiced out of my seat, jumping up, that I got in trouble by our producers multiple times. And like I had to have a conversation afterwards about how I had to be professional, had to be unbiased, because I was like literally jumping out of my seat, throwing shit across the studio. I didn't care, but I mean, this is, this is what they sign up for. You could take a lion out the jungle, but you can't take the jungle out the lion. Am I, am I right, Joe? Yeah, I, I feel you, man. You know, I played 11 years for the Browns, so clearly there's an understanding why I would be biased towards the Browns and how much right. I love the team and all the friends I still have there and the friends even on the coaching staff and in the administration. You know, obviously there's a lot of love, but you played in a bunch of different places, including a long and illustrious clear career in New England. Yes. But uh, for some reason, when, when you play in Cleveland – you just, it just becomes a little bit a part of you. And it's a little bit more special than other places. And I'm not exactly sure why that is uh, because it's not just you. It's so many other guys that I've played with, but there's just something about, I think the magic of the Browns and the history of that organization and that right. city and how much they love their team and you know, how much passion they have for their pro football. Um, I, I just feel like when guys play there it's just a little bit different than playing in other places i i think it, i think it depends on the personality too because i think well so i say two things when, when guys come to cleveland and and people come there and expect to like turn it around we're professional football players we're competitors we're like man we want to contribute to like being a part of something big so you become really really invested in even when you leave you like to think you helped put it on the right track or you helped leave it in a better place than when you left so you are connected to it. I tweeted a picture of my son watching the game and it wasn't like, my wife sent it to me. She like had to sit him down and have a talk with him because he's biting his nails. He's getting <laughs> like visibly upset. You know, he's getting like, but he's so invested. Like he is like Cleveland through and through. And I think that connection also helps like, yeah, this, for whatever reason, like you said, I've played all over the place, including the, the New England Patriots. Mm. Um, but there's mm. something about Cleveland, man, that just feels like home. Mm -hmm. Does your son feel that way about the Bengals, too? Because you spent, what, three years in Cincinnati and three years with the Browns? Early on, he did. But, like, after the first couple months I was there, he just became a Cleveland kid, man. Like, that's, like, yeah. where he started following football closely, watching every game, not, not just analyzing. Like, I could give you a whole quarterback and position breakdown of the takes he gave me yesterday of how the Browns need to get better. And I'm like, dude, you are <laughs> way too into this, way too early. <laughs> that's awesome well hey man let, let's get right into it obviously it was a huge weekend for pro football being week one uh we still got a few games tonight but uh let's review the action and jump right into it brown Steelers. hawk i know you said you watched it uh were you able to catch the entire game yeah i watch every game i seen all every game that was played yesterday i watched from start to finish so how, how does that happen do you have like one of those uh how is that humanly apps? possible? Like, I don't get it. Like, I, I watched two games, <laughs> and obviously my attention was kind of torn between the two, so I didn't see every play of both games because I was mostly focused on the Browns game, especially the way it ended. Um, but how do you watch all the NFL games? Do you go back and watch, like, uh, coaches' cut-ups, or are you watching the review, the, yeah. the the rewinds? I don't even know what it's called. I This is my first weekend out of football in 12 years. <laughs> So, yeah, so basically I'm in the studio with every game on every TV. So I'm watching live, like going from game to game to game. We have Red Zone on one TV and every other game is playing live. So I'm seeing every big oh, play. Okay. I'm like tapping yeah. into this game, that game. So you, mm -hmm. you hear the story live. You're watching the, the, the stories develop. Like I'm more in tune with the NFL than I've ever been in my life. So you're not actually watching every play, but you're just catching all the highlights from all the games. Not, I mean, I'm still, I'm tuned in. 
Uh, and that's like no, I, I believe. I but, I mean, there's like eight games that are going on at once. I'm not watching the all 22 and breaking down line play, Joe. No. <laughs> Thank you. All right, I am. I'm taking notes. I, I took four pages of notes on the Browns game. And this is like copy. Oh, I guess you're yeah. a lineman. You get all your, your yeah, yeah. Your notes. This is single space too. This is not how you did your homework at Toledo. <laughs> this is like legitimate four pages of notes. I went to Columbia and I played for the Patriots. All right. <laughs> all right, let's talk top line credits. Well, Joe, let's what, talk are some, what are some of your notes, Joe? Well, here I'll show you. My my very first note of the game was, uh, "Wow, it's raining." <laughs> okay, <laughs> great note. <laughs> yes, Wisconsin so education. Back, uh, so I could reach back into my memory. But uh, no, hey, let, let's talk about the game. I, I think there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to break down, and uh, I think. Hawk, I would love to hear your perspective because my perspective is kind of like mostly from the line play stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I know some of the skill play stuff, but obviously not as well as you do. But um, it looked like early on the Browns offense struggled to get things going, you know, including Tyrod Taylor wasn't completing a lot of balls. Um, what did you see from him and from that offense early on in the game? Well, there was a, I was reading Twitter. And like you said, we know we're Tyrod fans. I was reading Twitter. People weren't exactly excited about the quarterback play but here's what you have to keep in perspective he played way better than the hall of famer on the other side of the field so maybe the field conditions and i genuinely believe this that the field conditions uh really played into like tyrod's overall product and here's why tyrod by nature is a cautious quarterback that's what keeps players in games um his teams in games when he's at the helm is because he's not going to make dumb decisions he's not going to take unnecessary risks if there's a chance that it's going to be bad, he's going to pull it back, which is why he doesn't throw very many interceptions. Well, in bad weather, when it's raining and it's pouring, he's going to take even less chances. So I think that's why you've seen some of the numbers were, were the way that, that they were because he was trying to be cautious. He was pulling the thing down. He wasn't taking big chances. One thing that encouraged me is that when you talked about the skill players, guys like Josh Gordon, when we needed a play, he stepped up. Jarvis Landry, I remember late – they. Uh, Ty Rod threw a ball behind him. He reached back in an incredible hands catch in the rain. Like, those are the plays that aren't routinely there for us. And that's why I feel like we should be encouraged. Besides the fact, you know, I, I get it. It's like you don't know. You're conflicted about it. You didn't win, but you didn't lose. And I felt the same way for a while. But after, like, decompressing, the tie should be something we're excited about. Because, yes, we didn't lose. We didn't win. But there were so many encouraging things in that game, and we didn't even got to the defense yet. Just from a receiver standpoint, Higgins and Joku, plays were made, and Joku left a couple out there. But even still, like I said, as, as a collective, you realize, okay, we have the weapons to be something special that when Tyrod gets in better weather and he gets more comfortable, that we can compete with anybody, especially the way we did with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, I, I think what you saw from the Browns in the second half is the type of offense that they're going to want to be the rest of the season. I think mm-hmm. they're going to want to take those shots on the outside to Josh Gordon, right? Those 50-50 yep. balls, those back shoulder throws, those those throws that are either going to go to Josh or nobody. You know, take those shots. Keep that defensive secondary stretched. Also, take those shots to David Njoku. He's going to be a big weapon in the middle of the field, throw the ball high. It's going to be him or nobody. And then throw, get a lot of targets to Jarvis Landry, right? He's not the deep threat that Josh Gordon is, but he's got incredible hands. He does a great job opening up the inside of uh, a defense because of the way he can get open because his catch radius is so impressive. And one thing they need to do earlier is obviously get the run game going. Er- early yesterday, they didn't really run the ball very well in the first right. half, but once they got things going with um, Chubb and Hyde, they started to do a little bit better all the way around on offense. And so I think um, running the ball is going to be really, really important, especially early on next week. Um, but I think w- what you saw from Tarad is he's not going to throw those picks like you mentioned. But where he is really dangerous is running the football. Yes. Once he pulls, he pulls the ball down and he starts running, that's something that a defense is going to have to start accounting for, especially in a close game. You can't let those uh, opposing quarterbacks pick up a third and six by running the football, a third and five, you know, because, and so they're going to have to start playing them a little bit differently. That's why I think, you know, you hear some of these announcers on TV and they're already trying to push like the Baker Mayfield. Oh, they they should go to Baker Mayfield. Look at Terod Taylor's stats. You know, he didn't have very good completion percentage. Well, yeah, pump the brakes. It was raining. Second of all, he's such a weapon 
pulling the ball and and yeah. running it that he's opening up things for the rest of the offense. But um, what were your takeaways from the Browns defense? I mean, they look legit, dude. I, that defensive player of the year prediction by NFD looks better and better because Miles Garrett is a different kind of dude, man. He is a different kind of dude. Besides that, I mean, guys swarmed to the ball. They were around the ball when they needed to be. They created turnovers. Denzel Ward looking like an all-star pick. He looked awesome. Um, they, I mean, they were incredible. There are some, you know, w- without Le'Veon Bell, the, the Steelers' offense did look a little different. I mean, they were playing co- a lot of cover two, it looked like. And I know with, with Le'Veon in there, I don't, I don't know if you're, you'd be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, those, they look like they were gelling for a first, a first opening day game. They're only going to get better from here, man. I, I thought the biggest surprise of the game for me was the Browns' pass coverage. Now, granted, it was raining, but I thought they did an excellent job yeah. on Antonio Brown. They did an excellent job, obviously, with the turnovers, the way they swarmed to the football in the secondary. I thought that was a huge improvement over last year, which I didn't think the Browns' pass defense was all that great last year. They had an unbelievably good run defense last year, but my biggest disappointment from the Browns this weekend from a defensive standpoint was early on, they really had a hard time fitting that run game. They let uh, Connors from Pittsburgh get going way too early and way too often. And he had too many easy runs. It wasn't like you were seeing him bust through like tiny little holes. There was a lot of bigger holes, especially early on in that game uh, for the Steelers to run through. And it looked like they fixed it in the, in the second half. So it may have been like a game plan thing where, they had a couple runs dialed up early on that the Browns weren't ready for, and they didn't really know how to fit it in the run game, especially with formation and personnel. But they did get it fixed, but uh, it did hurt them early on because I think they had well over 100 yards rushing um, into the fourth quarter. What, what are some of the things that concerned you? For me, it was there was probably too many penalties. And also, oh yeah, there might be too many chefs in the kitchen in the backfield. For the Browns? Yeah. I feel like we got. I feel like you know, and I I get it's it's a good problem to have, but I would like to see one of those guys be able to kind of just take it by the horns and and get the opportunity to get going and find the rhythm as we bounce in and out. I feel like we got to you know, and I get it was wet. We got to get Duke more involved in the passing game as well. Um, but, but beyond that, the penalties to me was kind of a glaring thing. Yeah, obviously the penalties was an issue. I I thought um, Desmond Harrison. It was his first. NFL start first real major action on any level I mean he he played uh at Texas and then a small school but um for a rookie undrafted guy to play in the first game of his NFL career against the Steelers at home it's a very tough environment and he did have two false starts early on in the game and to me that tells me that he was thinking about a lot of things mm-hmm. and then you just go on one when, when you have a lot of things in your mind at the line of scrimmage, you, by uh, instinct, just go on one. And it looked like Tarad was doing a good job changing the snap count up, and that caused Desmond to jump a few times. But I thought overall Desmond had a really good game. He showed the reason why people said he could have been a top-five pick if he didn't have the off-field issues. And you see why they were, the coaching staff was comfortable putting him in the game because he was extremely athletic. He did a great job against Bud Dupree. There was only a couple times – when Bud was able to bull rush him a little bit. Um, but other than that, he showed really good athleticism. And it didn't look like he had too many mental mistakes. He had a couple, and he had those uh, early penalties. But I thought he settled in, and I think they have found who they want for the Browns on the left side with Joel Batonio at left guard and uh, Desmond Harrison at left tackle. So do we get to celebrate the win? Should we be happy about the tie enough to be to celebrate the quote-unquote win so when we tied should we be happy about it so that was the big question right you know do do we open those bud light fridges do they (laughs) pop open at midnight when the tie happens right and uh, i think honestly the as, as i was feeling after the game emotionally drained and upset and disappointed i do not think you can celebrate a tie like that especially the way it happened I think maybe it would be a little differently if it was kind of a back and forth game and you Mm -hmm. drove down the field and you kicked a field goal to tie. I think then you could walk out of that locker room and say, wow, I feel really good about ourselves. But the way the defense got all those turnovers, marched down the field, were able to give you an opportunity to kick a field goal to win 
and then you get it blocked, it just leaves such a bad taste in your mouth that even though it was a tie, and I think at the beginning of the game, if you ask Browns fans, hey, if they tie the Steelers today, would you feel good about it? They would probably have said yes going into it. I think the way it happened at the end, both teams probably felt really salty because they both felt like they let one slip away by shooting themselves in the foot. You're an O-lineman, the block field goal in 30 seconds. Whose fault was it? So I posted this on my Twitter. I posted this on my Twitter right after the game. I haven't seen the coaches' cut-ups yet, and that's usually the only way you can tell exactly what happened because a lot of times the TV copies don't have you don't give you an angle that's right down the line of scrimmage, so you can't tell exactly where the push was or if the defense was earlier. What? But I said there was three big factors that led to the field goal. Right, uh, the first, which is the conditions, right. Mm-hmm. it's raining the ball's going to come out a little bit lower when it's wet like that so you get a low kick right the second one was it looked like the Steelers got a little bit of an early jump on the ball it looked like they may have been offsides. I'm not exactly sure you know obviously there's a referee that stands right there that looks down the line of scrimmage at the football and he's going to call it if it was a little bit more than close but sometimes in those situations when it's close they just let him play because it's such a bang bang thing that you can't really tell unless you slow it down and go back. Um, And so because the Steelers got such a good jump, maybe probably offsides, what happened was then the left side of the Browns field goal protection was a little bit late out of their stance based on how soon the Steelers side of the the ball got off off the line of scrimmage. And so when they're a little bit late, they ended up giving up a little bit too much push. And so the combination of the low kick, the rain, the early jump that the Steelers got and the push that was given up sort of from that left side, um, that three things put together, that's what happens. Uh, Those three things together, and then you get a block kick. This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. Well, being a part of the Tomahawk Show, people who are here just automatically become Browns fans because... We talk about the Browns almost 24-7. So, no face Nat, we're going to bring you in. What was it like in your first game as a Browns fan? <laughs> because I know you were invested. Yes, I was invested because thanks to you guys, I get to talk to you 24-7 pretty much, and all <laughs> I hear about is the Browns. So, let's get it straight first. I am a dedicated 49ers fan. I'm from the Bay Area. I've always been a Niners fan. Well, let me tell you this. Let me stop you there and just let you know that our record is better than yours right now. (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, yes. I had to watch that game yesterday, which sucked. I mean, we couldn't keep the ball in our hands. But back to the Browns. Um, It was definitely fun. I only caught the second half of the game, um, but it was interesting to watch. Um, They definitely played scrappy. It was great seeing Josh Gordon back on the field. I mean, we've done at uninterrupted, we've done um, some work with him, you know, following his journey. So Mm -hmm. um, it was definitely cool to see him back and killing it. I mean, that catch was amazing. Yeah, it was insane. Um, Also, I think Jarvis Landry is a great addition to the team. And Joe, your boy, Miles Garrett was killing it. Mm. Um, Nat, were you ready for the emotional roller coaster that is being a Cleveland Browns fan? No, I mean, I wasn't. Well, technically, if I kind of got it. If you've been a Browns fan for a long time, you've had to deal with, you know, suffering of some sort. Uh And I can feel that because I've been also a Warriors fan my whole life. So we went through Yeah, they've suffered a lot lot lately. Yeah, you guys. Not lately. I feel for you, Matt. You know exactly what it's like to be a Cleveland Brown fan. I'm telling you from back in the day. Okay, you guys can. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. No, keep but, going. Like, <laughs> continue. Hey, we apologize. So, no, it's fine. I mean, technically, like you said, it wasn't a win, but it wasn't a loss. So there's progress there. Um, it's going to be a different year. You could already feel like 
although I haven't watched a lot of games in the past, you can mm -hmm. already feel the energy is different um, on the field. So one more question as a, as an outside fan, not completely invested in, in Brown's fandom. We tied the Pittsburgh Steelers. Are you like, eh, you shouldn't celebrate that. Are you are, or are you thinking like, Hmm, good job, Brown. You should be proud. I'm thinking you should be a little bit proud, not to the extent where you should celebrate it. Um, okay. Like I saw videos online of people like, cheering in bars and whatnot i think that's a little <laughs> over the top i think it's a little over the top wow. because it's not a win we broke but a streak nat that's true that's we true broke I'm, a streak i will be full-on celebrating with you guys when you win all right <laughs> come over it. to come over we'll have a tomahawk show at my house yes. we can all celebrate with the victory the bud light victory fridge will be opened and we'll all pour bud lights on our heads when the browns win. it'll be amazing wait all right, let's Team get into some party. Let's get into well, some hey, more NFL games here, man. All right, let's go Packers Bears. Did you uh, guys watch that game? What what an unbelievable game, by the holy way. Holy shit, man. You talk about an emotional roller coaster. So from my defensive player of the year prediction, Miles, to my offensive MVP prediction, Aaron Rodgers. That looked pretty good too. I feel like he's really hurt still. <laughs> I don't think he's like gonna be here for the next couple of games. He came back for anyone who lives under a rock and haven't seen any sports shows today. Um, Aaron Rodgers gets hurt late in the second quarter. It looks bad, like he's torn ACL, and it's like, oh, man, thank God you signed that huge contract because <laughs> you're going to spend another year on the IR. He had, like, a, such a look of devastation that I, I know. I was telling everyone around me, like, I was a little expert, like, oh, I know that look. He's not coming back, man. This is, this is all bad. Deshaun Kaiser era starts in Green Bay. The dude comes back and just brings him back from 20 nothing, like, like the other team wasn't even out there. Well, even the but, announcers were saying they shouldn't even risk putting him back in the game. And then he comes back and he wins the game. Oh my goodness, man. Like I, I, I can't, I don't even have any words for it. Like that's what it looks like. I wish I was good as good at something as Aaron Rodgers is at football. He's truly amazing. But here's, here's my question but that I'm going to pose. Here's my, here's my question I'm going to pose to you guys, right? We all know the talent that Aaron Rodgers is, right? We all know how great he is on the field, scoring touchdowns, bringing his team back. They're, they're never out of it, right? But, mm -hmm. uh, all right, think our generation. Out of all the greatest quarterbacks of our generation, let's say if you took the top five greatest quarterbacks of our generation, I'm going to say that Aaron Rodgers is the only one that hasn't learned how to protect himself. I mean, think about the greatest quarterbacks. All right, Manning, Breeze, maybe even Roethlisberger, Brady. Aaron Rodgers. Brady. All right, there's five guys right there. You could throw in maybe Russell Wilson. You could throw in Phillip Rivers, whoever else you want. All those guys have learned to protect themselves and stay healthy. Yeah. Except for Aaron Rodgers. How he many is times always is it, getting hurt. How many times has he landed on IR? Do we have those numbers? I don't know. But it, okay, so whether whether I don't know about the IR numbers, but if you've been a Packer fan, I grew up in Wisconsin, so my whole family, all my friends are Packers fans. Mm -hmm. Aaron Rodgers has had a history of concussions. He's had a history of other injuries. Last year, he had the broken collarbone. So even though I don't think he's ended up on IR a ton of times, he's always seems to be getting hurt. And here's my question to everybody, right? Is his legacy going to be tainted? Because – Okay, Tom Brady, he's in a discussion of being the greatest football player of all time. Aaron Rodgers has that talent, and he mm -hmm. could be in that discussion. But is his inability to stay healthy consistently going to be hurt by the fact that he seems to get hurt all the time? Uh, I don't know, man. He's just so much better than everybody else. I get what you're saying, and it makes a lot of sense, because over time, if you're not available, what is it, what is it saying that – Durability is more important than ability and availability is yeah. more important than ability. So I think overall, I mean, it's not going to hurt his legacy. It may uh, hamper like the height he'd be able to reach, like if he'd be able to maximize his, his potential. But I mean, I think that's what makes him great. And even the way he got hurt, I mean, how do you protect yourself? You know who should be protecting him? The GM should be make sure his O-line is good <laughs> enough. Uh, Khalil yeah. Mack came in the first yeah. play. Like he didn't play the first two plays. And, and it's funny because the announcers were like, hey, Khalil Mack's going to be on a pitch count. They're going to 
So the first then he had play, the greatest half in defensive history. <laughs> the first play, somebody like Green Bay running back rushed for 12 yards. And they were like, okay, Khalil Mack, you're in the rest of the game. You good? Okay. The first play, he like bull rushes the tackle all the way into the quarterback. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, I get it's Khalil Mack, but at the same time, the best way to protect Aaron Rodgers is by getting him a good old line. Joe, why do you think he's been injured so much? So I just looked. Out of the last 10 years, so once he became a starter, eight of those 10 years, he has started at least 15 games. Who, Aaron Rodgers? Yeah. It's only two yeah. seasons where he hasn't started at least 15 games. So in last 10 years. year, he had, he, had the, he had the collarbone. Last year was and one. He started seven. A few years before that, he had all sorts of concussions. Are, are you sure that number's right? I feel like he was hurt more often than, than what you're saying. Nope, you're wrong. <laughs> 2013, he started nine games. But in 2000, from 2008 on, he has started at least 15 games every year except two. So if he, if so, he had something this year where it was like, yo, you land on IR, then that becomes three well, yeah, it's back-to-back years, yeah. But even, he, even two years where you missed. Oh, okay. But I, I don't know exactly what the numbers are. Not everyone are. can play totally, every snap like you, Joe. You're totally destroying my point. Joe but Mar as a quarterback, so all right, as, <laughs> as a premium quarterback, right, the best in the game, you should be able to be starting 16 games. Like, look at the Manning, the Breeze. Uh, the Brady, those guys, they never, ever, ever got hurt. They were always there for their team. Brady ended a year on IR. One year out of what, 20? Drew Brees ended a year on IR. Yeah, in San Diego, not since he's been in New Orleans. Who else? And Manning? The 15, Manning had one year when he had the neck thing. Manning was like, out had, of 20. No, had no head for like two years. <laughs> <laughs> and then the 15 right. games could also play into the, when you, Punch a playoff and they they start somebody else week sixteen. How did when Deshaun Kaiser went in? Were you were you like okay he's he's about to do this or were you like eh? I, I was in his corner. Deshaun, a friend of mine. I'm a Deshaun uh, Kaiser fan. I was like, come on, man, let's do this. And he didn't exactly play great. <laughs> but, <laughs> he exactly do this. He, he was in there. He you know he moved the ball down the field and then he started getting under a little bit of pressure and he ran right into Khalil back. He didn't do a very good job feeling the pressure. And uh, he coughed it up right away to Khalil Mack. But, um, I mean, he's still young. He's like 22 years old. Yeah. I'm sure he wasn't preparing to play much in that game. And to get thrown in there is a really difficult situation because the Bears, they have a really good defense, let's be honest. Is, is Aaron Rodgers the best quarterback in the league? I still think Tom Brady is the best quarterback in the league. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to my point. It's because he's available. He's not <laughs> injured as much as Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> All right, let's move on. We got the Saints and Bucks, just the way we doubted up. This Ryan Fitzmagic. Call of the year. Did did you call this game? Yeah, I said uh, Tampa was going to be the worst team in the NFL, and oh, yeah. the Saints were going to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> yes. But then I prefaced be... it. <laughs> exactly right. Perfect. I uh, I uh, would it be post fisted if I said it after that? <laughs> I post fisted it with with it's actually opposite day, and I think the Saints are going to be the worst. <laughs> And the Bucks would be the best. So Ryan Fitzmagic comes in and he just throws for almost like 500 yards, four TDs, rushes for one, and he looks like the Fitzmagic that stole money out in Buffalo. Like he's on the hunt again for somebody to overpay him. But they looked like damn good, man. I was like, well, the Saints defense, they had uh, to put it lightly, some holes. We'll say it like that. But the Bucks looked really, really good. Specifically, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Were you calling him Fitz Magic a second ago? Yeah, it's his nickname, Fitz Magic. Wow, I totally missed the vote on that one. Yeah, man, what are you doing? His new nickname, I said this on Sports Center on Snap, his new nickname should be Ryan Fitz. Play good once every three years and trick a team into overpaying for your services. I think it's going to stick. <laughs> so now that he had this great performance in week one for Tampa, how many more years in the NFL does this buy him? Because oh everybody knows, like, as a quarterback, all it takes is one good game, and then you get, like, three more years in the NFL out of it, no matter what happens the rest of the season. He'll, if, if he wants to play six more years, he will. But the, the real question is, is he wasting his time? Could he be making more money by not playing? Because he's a Harvard grad. He's probably, at this point, getting in a way of, like, uh, raising million-dollar funds for companies that are shell companies. So he really could be really bringing the bank in if he just uses Harvard education. As a fellow I feel Ivy like leaguer. I feel like he's gonna yeah right as Ivy Leaguer get out of here <laughs> your your online associates uh, <laughs> fake honorary degree that you got from uh, Columbia <laughs> I still don't believe you that, that Columbia you the country 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Co- Columbia College of uh, Toledo. <laughs> I think that's what it was. Uh, but yeah, um, obviously that was a bad call by me. I think uh, Ryan Stocker. Fitz Magic was pretty unbelievable. So is this Fitzpatrick's team now? That I raised that question. That's a that's a legit question because if he does this, let's say, how long is I think Jameis is suspended? He's out three games, right? Three games. So if he does this for three games, there will be a genuine conversation of whether or not Ryan Fitzpatrick should be the quarterback. Well, if he does this for three games, it's his team the whole year for sure. I mean, that was pretty for sure. Jameis Winston is the top pick. I know, but this that was an impressive outing. I mean, they beat the Saints in New Orleans, the team that was going still is going to win the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. and he threw for a ridiculous amount of yards. Here's an underrated take: Matt Ryan is the fifth best quarterback in the NFC South. <laughs> fifth best? There's only fourteen. Yes, exactly. Jameis <laughs> and Ryan Fitzpatrick are oh, now wow. ahead of him. That's impressive, Matt Ryan. He did not look good on opening day. That's for oh, sure. Oh goodness. But, uh, well, hey, let, let's jump to some other NFL news and notes. Um, I think one thing that we should do is uh, who was your best player of the game this weekend? Mm-hmm. Who, who, who gets that tomahawk crown for, hey, you were the best player in the NFL this week? I'm going with Ty Heel, Tyreek Heel. And I'm, it's not because he's short. It's a little bit because he's short. But also, he's a baller. The dude is probably the most electric player in the NFL. I've said this for two years. You can go back on my Twitter and, and fact check this. I think he is going to be one of the biggest names. If he's not already, like I think he's going to get to the point where we think of him as Antonio Brown, as, you know, Todd Gurley, these like huge playmaking names because he can do it all, dude. To watch the things he was doing, he just looks like he's at a different speed. In the NFL, that's like, that's incredible to do. My Tomahawk crown goes to... And this is going to be an underrated one here. I'm, I'm sure you guys have, have not even watched one of this guy's plays yet. Trent Brown. Left tackle for the New England uh, Patriots. Hawk watched every play of every game. All right? I know, I know Hawk. Every Hawk single play. Funny, no, I'm going to tell you, Trent Brown, he blew me away. And I made the mistake on Twitter, and I said he was a rookie. He's actually not a rookie. He's in his fourth year. But this, <laughs> we used to be teammates. That's my guy, Trent B. Yeah, Trent Beasy. Oh. Uh, <laughs> he shut down Jadavian Clowney. He played exceptional. He looked great. He played with great technique, great length. He was really stout. He gave Tom Brady tons of space and time in the pocket. And uh, I thought that might be a tough matchup for him because Jadavian Clowney is really good. He's one of the premier pass rushers in the NFL. Uh, the Patriots drafted a guy in the first round this year to replace Nate Solder. That guy tore his Achilles early on in training camp, and Trent Brown – has to come in there and step in, and he did a fantastic job. I don't think he gives up that spot all year. He did amazing. He uh, really exceeded my expectations with his technique and the way he played, and that's the reason I'm giving him my Tomahawk crown for the day. My Tomahawk player of the week, Miles Garrett. I'm going to be a homer there. But yep, there you go. It was 21-7. The Browns are down 14 points in the fourth quarter, and the Steelers have the ball, and he almost single-handedly brought the Browns I mean, he, back into the game. Two forced fumbles, a huge sack on Roethlisberger, setting up lots of points for the Browns and brought that game into overtime. But, no, I agree with that. Miles Garrett, he was a beast, man. We said this earlier in the show. He's just like – he. you said the defensive player of the year. Not that I, like, didn't believe it, but just the more you watch him, you realize, like, man, this dude is a man amongst boys. Man, and he again, was the number one the NFL level. That's, like, rare to be that way. Hey, what about Deshaun Watson Andrew Luck came back, both from injury yesterday? What were your thoughts on those guys? So, like I mentioned, um, the Texans-Patriots game was that second game I had on while I was watching the Browns. So, I got an opportunity to watch most of it. I thought Deshaun Watson early on looked a little bit rusty. He had a fumble on one of their RPOs. Um, he overthrew a couple passes. He, he was missing a few targets. And he was forcing the ball to DeAndre Hopkins a few times. And uh, when you play the Patriots, the Patriots' defense is a game plan-specific defensive scheme so they're going to do something different every week based on what you do on offense to try to take away your strengths so in the case of playing against the Texans they were going to double cover uh, DeAndre Hopkins all game and not let the ball go to him because they knew he was the one guy that could beat him on on defense and uh, so Deshaun Watson was not he, he forced the ball a little bit too much early on into DeAndre Hopkins and I thought from a offensive standpoint they called way too many drop-back passes early on in the game. I thought that the, the Houston Texans 
and Deshaun Watson are more of a outside zone play action type offense, which would be what would fit Deshaun Watson better. You know, I think Deshaun would be perfect in the scheme that Russell Wilson runs in this, the Kyle Shanahan type scheme where you're going to get that outside zone running game going and start throwing your play action passes off of it where you got one and two man routes. I don't think the Houston Texans offensive line is good enough at pass protecting to be able to sit back there and let Deshaun Watson read the defense. Also, Deshaun Watson is not a guy with enough experience to be able to pick apart a defense, just drop back passing all game. He's not experienced enough to go quickly through the progressions uh, and through the reads, getting the ball out on time and on the money. And also, he's a guy that's really athletic. He's got a long drop, so he gets really deep in the pocket, and that makes it extra difficult for an offensive line to block for. And they also do not have a very talented offensive line to start with. So um, I thought that early on in the game, the play calling was not best suited for Deshaun Watson. But in the second half, he settled down. He stopped forcing the ball to DeAndre Hopkins. They started getting the edge running game, the outside zone running game going. And then that opened up some of those play action passes. And they started having some uh, effective plays against the Patriots. And I thought that was really good. And I think that that's what we're going to see more of later on in the season from the Texans because they're <laughs> going to realize that Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, very similar. Don't make those guys just stand back there and uh, throw the ball like, like they're Tom Brady because they're not. They have different skill sets. I can tell that was the game you watched because you just gave us a four-minute take on Deshaun Watson's <laughs> offensive line. Um, greatly appreciated, nonetheless. I think the dropback stuff was more of like them trying to protect his knee, which I get, and you're right, he's not that kind of player. I would be encouraged if I was Texans fans because late in the game, he showed that he was like a real quarterback in this league because he like started coming back on Tom Brady, and, and most guys just tucked their tail. We had some new quarterbacks in new places yesterday as well. One of which we did not predict that would look well, but Kirk Cousins actually played really, really good. Alex Smith looked good for the Washington Redskins, and Case Keenum got the W in uh, in, in Denver. Which one of those guys stood out to you? Well, I I didn't think Kirk Cousins was going to have a great season. You know, when, on my annual Tomahawk quarterback ratings, he's kind of in the middle of the pack, but yep. he got a huge contract, obviously, because quarterback's such an important position. So when they get to free agency, they're going to be making huge dollars. Um, but I would say, I, I'm going to eat my words and say Kirk Cousins, he played really well for the Vikings. He didn't have the numbers that uh, some of these other quarterbacks did this weekend, but he played really well. He gave their team a chance to win. He was very efficient. And I think with the defense that the Vikings have, he doesn't have to throw for 500 yards, right? He just don't yeah. make the big mistake, throw for 250, have a high completion percentage, a couple touchdowns, and you're going to win more games than you lose. I was surprised their running game looked so well for reasons we won't discuss right now, but I did not expect their running game to be that um, e efficient yesterday. And, and Dalvin Cook looked really well coming back from a knee injury. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the, the Vikings defense, man, they're so legit. And even 49ers fans, speaking specifically to you, no face Nat. Don't be sad. The Vikings defense is really, really good. So, of course, they're going to make your team look bad. Next week, if you suck, then you should be concerned. <laughs> also, my favorite part about the games yesterday, besides Joe, Joe, who was literally live tweeting anything that happened about football <laughs> yesterday, also who was doing that was Des Bryant. And it was probably oh, man, the best awesome. thing on the Internet yesterday because he's talking about places that should sign him. He's laughing at the Cowboys as their receivers look like they went to Columbia College at the University of <laughs> wherever. Um, and, you know, he was literally just responding. to, And it was like, yo, it's just weird seeing a player who should be playing in the NFL, could be playing in the NFL, live tweeting all the games and all the action on a Sunday. He should be getting paid for that. Here's a question. We'll throw this out there to the, the Tomahawk squad. Does Des Bryant look – like too much of sour grapes by just constantly going after the Cowboys on Twitter. I mean, should he just be an adult and get mature and just accept the fact that he got cut and move on and just thank the Cowboys for what they did for him and say, Hey, you know what? I appreciate it. I think you made a mistake in cutting me. I'm going to make you regret it, but I don't need to sit there and just childishly attack him every single <laughs> Sunday when they don't make a, the right play on offense or their receivers don't make a catch. 
Was that a loaded question? You're, you're I'm just asking. I'm just throwing it out there. Be an adult. Be mature and stop being childish. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder where you stand on this, Jeff. Well, I'm just asking. Has he crossed the line? Is he... I don't think he's crossed the line. I get okay. what you're saying, and there is like some professionalism that should be taking place in there. But it would be worse if he was wrong. He's not wrong. Those receivers aren't better than Des Bryant. They would be a better football team with Des Bryant. He shouldn't have got cut, regardless of what you think about his his off the field and we're not in the locker room so we really don't know but still you should put your team in the best position to win so if you're willing to sacrifice that guy like not being a part of your team and making your team worse like that shouldn't be it you should be trying to win football games or put a plan in place to replace him and they don't have that they are seriously deficient at wide receiver like it is bad it is glaring and I don't think he wants to go back there. I don't think that's the case. He feels like he shouldn't have been cut. And he, I feel like he's probably right. They need him. Let's, let's ask uh, Nat here. From a female's perspective, does Des Bryant make himself look bad by saying anything when the Cowboys receivers are playing poorly? Or would he look better if he just said nothing? Because everyone obviously knows that's the elephant in the room. Like, okay, they cut Dez, and now the receivers suck. If he just takes the high road, he looks better. Or should he just be crushing him on Twitter like he was? Personally, I think he should not be tweeting everything all the time. Like, I think he should just, like you said, be mature and kind of let it go. Just accept the fact that what happened happened. And instead of being petty online. But then again, it's entertainment. He's doing it so mm -hmm. people can, you know follow him and see what's going to happen next. And they want to know what he's going to say. It's, it's all entertainment. It's all to create a stir online. And that's exactly what he did. So I think he got what he wanted out of it, yeah. but I do think that he should, you know, kind of be a little bit more mm -hmm. mature and not. I think, I think it was one of those things where when he did it, it probably felt really good, but he's probably going to wake up this morning and regret a little bit and just say, you know what, these are still my boys. These are still the guys that I fought a lot of battles with. And I may have come after him just a little too hard yesterday. Well, I don't think it's about them. Maybe the guys may feel that way. I get it. But I think in his mind, he, he got cut, right? And we talk about this a lot, that players, when you don't play well, you get cut. Jason Garrett should be cut. And I think that's like the point he's trying to get across is that, okay, you could say whatever about my play or what I am in the locker room. And maybe, maybe I, has, I should have gotten cut, but I shouldn't have been the first one cut. You coaches should be the first one cut because they haven't done much. Like they haven't been successful um, for the amount of money, for the amount of talent they have, especially on that offensive line, which is like the hardest group to get together that is that good. So I feel like in his mind, he's more pointing to the coaches saying how bad they are as opposed to he was the problem. It was, you guys are the problem. This episode is brought to you by Shell. College football is best enjoyed at home. You know, the home that has no rooms because it's a stadium of 70,000 screaming fans. But wherever you are, ESPN and Shell can take your fandom further with savings up to 15 cents per gallon for Fuel Rewards members at Shell. Welcome home, football fans. Terms and conditions apply. See FuelRewards.com slash FuelYourFandom for details. Shell is an official sponsor of ESPN College Football. ESPN, the ESPN logo, and ESPN College Football are registered trademarks of ESPN Incorporated. So well, that brings me a, in a, with a good transition to the coach on the hot seat or with the toughest job this year. Mm. And I'm going to go out and say, Jason Garrett, I'm not saying he's on the hot seat today, but what I'm saying is he's got the toughest job this season, right? Because they have less talent than they have had in the past years, right? You lose Hall of Fame tight end, Des Bryant. You cut your mm -hmm. kicker, by the way, your all-pro kicker. You lose your all-pro center, Travis Frederick, and – now all of a sudden the expectations have somehow gone up from where they were last year and they already missed the playoffs last year. So um, I'm going to say that Jason Garrett has the toughest job because if he doesn't make the playoffs this year, I think generally speaking, most people think that they're going to go a different direction and find a new coach. And they should. I, I couldn't agree more, but my, my pick for the, the hottest seat is Sean McDermott out in Buffalo. Because really? Okay. Let's hear last it. Last year they were six and three. And they benched Tyrod, Tyrod for Nathan Peterman. Nathan Peterman comes in, he throws five interceptions in one half. Literally the worst <laughs> half of quarterback play in the history of the NFL. He had negative seven 
fantasy points, and he was outscored by all 7.6 billion humans on Earth. Okay? <laughs> they put Tyrod back in in the second half. So here we are into a new season. We spend a first-round pick on Josh Allen. We acquired A.J. McCarron in the offseason. At the end of camp, we say, Nathan Peterman's having a great camp. We, we're so, we feel so good about him. We name him the starter. We sit our first-rounder, and we trade A.J. McCarron, a really, 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 really good bridge quarterback. Yep, right? AJ was the guy. perfect guy. He was the perfect guy. You trade him. You start Nathan Peterman. What does Nathan Peterman do? He comes out and he does what Nathan Peterman has showed us he's done, Mr. Coach McDermott. He went, what was it, like five for something for 24 yards and two interceptions. In, two quarter, in four quarters of play, roughly four quarters, Nathan Peterman is 11 for 32, 90 yards, and seven Ooh. interceptions. And I think a negative – <laughs> quarterback passer rating and that doesn't fall on Nathan Peterman it's not his fault that yeah. he wasn't ready to be an NFL quarterback it's not his mm. fault that he's not playing well and guys are dropping passes doesn't have the protection it's McDermott's fault because he keeps putting him in impossible situations and when you make those decisions that should come back on you and everyone's going to say he was in the playoffs last year nobody was saying that when we fired Ben McAdoo when we told Ben McAdoo he was making terrible decisions and they fired him everybody applauded it Sean McDermott should be on the hot seat so I'm going to tell you that Sean McDermott is not on the hot seat because yeah, he took the Buffalo him. Bills to the playoffs last year for the first time since uh, before I was in diapers. Tyrod so he's not on the hot seat. However, this is my mini rant about defensive coaches being head coaches. Now, mm. obviously, there's been plenty of great defensive coaches that have been great head coaches in the NFL, namely Bill Belichick, Bill Parcells. Uh, let's go and say there's plenty of other ones as well. But so what I will say, you know if I can tell. Those, are, those are two of the best ones all right, <laughs> of all time. But I will say one of the pitfalls of having a defensive coordinator as a head coach is that they are a little bit short-sighted, right? Because as a defensive player, you, you a lot of times you don't look at the big picture, right? They're all about like hustle and, and competition and toughness and be harder than the next guy, right? Whereas an offensive coach is much more cerebral. He's looking at the big picture. He's thinking down the line. He's thinking four or five plays down the line all the time. And a defensive coach is more about just being a badass, right? And so to me, I see Sean McDermott as a guy that just wants to be the badass. He wants to create competition everywhere. And every day is a competition. Every play is a competition. And instead of thinking long-term, what's the best interest of this organization, and this team, a lot of times they're just thinking about, all right, who did the best job in this drill? And we're going to reward them right away. And so what I see is that, like last year with Tarad, he benched Tarad in the middle of a season where they were, what, you said six and two? Six and three at the time. Six and three. And you bench your starting quarterback for what? I'm not sure why, but it, in his mind, it was, we're going to send a message to the team that this is not good enough and we're going to put the next guy in if, <sighs> if you're not doing your job. And what happens, right? we saw the Nathan Peterman uh, showing from last year, right? So then fast forward to this season, right? And I don't want to make this about Nathan Peterman. Uh, Hawk, I'm afraid you're getting death threats from his family already. I mean, They're he's a really good kid, too. Studios. He really is a good kid. I, 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 don't, I don't really know anything about him as a quarterback other than his stat line. But like you said, this year you go ahead and you had the perfect bridge quarterback in A.J. McCarron and you had the young guy in Josh Allen. You had, you had the plan perfectly in place, right? But what do you do? You go into the season – and you get rid of uh, A.J. McCarron, that was a huge mistake, and you start Nathan Peterman over Josh Allen. If you're going to get rid of A.J. McCarron and say the future is now, just push Josh Allen in there. But yep. if he's not ready, let him sit and play A.J. McCarron. Don't just go play the guy that looked good in your, uh, your bag drill that mm -hmm. you know, did a great job in the meeting, took the best notes, and you're going to reward the guy for that. I mean, let's play the guy that has the best chance to give our team the best chance to win for the whole season. Don't I just agree. be a tough guy. I agree, man. I, look, I, I think he's in the hot seat. I, you can say what you want. I feel All like right. he has a track. He has a, a bad track record for decision making. All right, here, here's my next one for you. What was the bigger offseason mistake? Cutting Des Bryant or cutting your all-pro kicker? Now, for those of you that didn't watch the end of the Cowboys game, they had an opportunity to win the game, and their kicker missed it. Now, that wasn't exactly a verbatim what happened, but their, their <laughs> kicker missed like a 30-yard field goal at some point in the second half that would have given an opportunity to win. And recently they 
got rid of Dan Bailey, one of the most accurate kickers of all time, and uh, they replaced him with a young buck. Hmm. I'm going to say for the Cowboys, I'm going to say Des Bryant. Because with Des okay. Bryant, you're probably not in that situation. For like Dak Prescott, you need weapons, man. Like not only that, it opens up your run game. Even if Des Bryant isn't what he used to be, he demands attention. He, he demands being game planned for. And that takes guys out of the box. That takes focus from the safety off of the run game to the receivers. It gives you whatever. But you don't have that. Guys are going to pack the box. They're going to make it really, really hard in Ezekiel Elliott in that offensive line. Guys aren't being real threats downfield. So the pass game isn't anything anybody's scared of. I think Des Bryant was the bigger mistake. I'm actually going to go on the other side of the coin there. I'm going to say Dan Bailey was the bigger mistake because I think sometimes uh, GMs, in this case, Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones, you want to make the hard decision, right? You, you want to remove emotion from the situation as much as you can and make the analytical choice and say, you know what, we love this guy, but we think the guy behind him gives our team a better chance to win now and it makes more sense for this team and on down the line, right? What are the reasons? But with Dan Bailey, the reason they got rid of him is I'm not even sure why. It's not like he cost too much money. Like Des Bryant, his contract was clearly bigger than what his uh, ability was at this point in his career. But like you mentioned, he still was a weapon, right? Okay, right. with Dan Bailey, why did you get rid of him? I, don't, I can't name one reason why you would get rid of an all-pro kicker other than the fact that you think, for some reason, kickers don't have value. Now, this is a common mistake, in my opinion, in the NFL is – the, the salary cap guys, they come in or the, the GMs, they come in and say, all right, where can we trim some money? Well, we can, we can trim it from the kicker. He's making too much money. But in comparison to the salary cap, they're making 1% or 2%, which is peanuts. And I'm sure that Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones wish that they would have spent a little bit more money on their kicker in their salary cap when they're sitting there and you need that field goal to win the game because all 52 other guys on that roster were counting on that kicker in that very moment. And until you have a guy that's been through that fire and had that experience, just because he won the kicking contest in training camp in shorts and a T-shirt does not mean he's ready to go out and do it in crunch time on Sunday in an NFL game. So I think for the Cowboys, getting rid of Dan Bailey was a bigger mistake than getting rid of Des Bryant. And we've been in those situations. Pat McAfee is going to be really happy you just did that for the brand, as he would say. <laughs> All right, now we got to pick our favorite young trio, which is quarterback, running back, receiver. Who was your favorite from Sunday? You know what? I'm going to go with Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Kareem Hunt. I thought all those guys did a really good job. I, I was impressed. Patrick Mahomes played a lot better than I expected. As a second-year guy, without a lot of experience – I knew he had a lot of talent, but I wasn't sure he'd be as polished as he was. Uh, but he impressed. And obviously, Tyreek Hill and, and Kareem Hunt are studs. Um, I'm glad they're on my fantasy team. Yeah, and I said receiver, running back, quarterback, but we didn't have to keep it to that. We could have kept it to any three trio of pay playmakers for a team. But I also picked Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and Kareem Hunt. Not Kareem Hunt because he went to Toledo. Not Tyreek Hill because he's a short receiver. Because they're both really good. And they remind so me of when myself. I, when I picked them to win the AFC this year, you guys both ridiculed me and laughed at me. And now they're the best trio <laughs> I don't in the NFL. Think, I don't think they're the best trio. They were the most exciting yesterday, and they performed the best. I'll give them that. I still don't think they're going to go to the Super Bowl. But Mahomes did look like a dude. Firm, you spent some time with Mahomes. Tell us about the couple of days that you were with uh, Mahomes and what you've seen from him. Yeah, well, we were just talking about he had a couple throws yesterday <clears throat> on the run where he just flicked it and it still went like 40 yards. And yeah, at a previous at a previous stop, I uh, I hung out with him for about three days before while he was training for the combine. And so we were just like out on a field and like there was no defense, obviously, but he was working on some play action stuff. And he towards the end of one of the practices, he just dropped back and he was like, I think he literally said, watch this to people before he did it. And he like play faked stopped and then flicked it and the ball went nearly 70 yards and like I've never seen somebody do an athletic feat like that in person <laughs> and I did I like didn't know what to do with myself he, he also told us that uh pre-game when he was at Texas Tech he said that he could throw if he if he wanted to he could throw the ball 80 yards like he would just he could set and just throw it and go 80 yards and he would try to do it in pre-game and he said he got to like 75 so that's ridiculous his arm his arm strength is crazy but I think like what Joe said just seeing how polished he was yesterday, more so than just like his ability to launch the ball miles in the air. He uh, he's going to be that offense is going to be a lot of fun. He has like such a big arm. We had Cliff Kingsbury on in the spring, and you know Cliff has coached 
what is it, Case Keenum, Johnny Manziel, Baker Mayfield, uh, Mahomes. And of all those, he was like, yo, Mahomes' arm, none of those guys could even come close to it. And yesterday when you watched him with the weapons that he has, with the, the Travis Kelseys, the Tyreek Hills, the Kareem Hunts, you can see why people are so excited about him because he has the arm. Like, it, he can literally make everything. Everyone says that about quarterbacks, but he just looks different doing it. And you can tell he's like, his upside is crazy. The Chiefs won 38-28 over the Chargers. And I actually think the Chargers are going to be pretty good this season. Yeah. But uh, let's give some credit to Andy Reid. He has always got his team ready at the beginning of the season. He does a great job. I was really impressed. Um, as NFD clearly pointed out, uh, he loves the Chiefs, and they exceeded my expectations this weekend. I love it, man. All right. Well, I think we pretty much covered a lot of the NFL. Not all of it, most of it. We might have some Q&A here. NFD, we nope, got any we'll Q&A? We'll have next episode. And we'll also review our picks. All right. I'll give you a quick spoiler alert just from yesterday. Joe only picked four correct games. Hawk picked six, and I picked seven. <laughs> we still got games to go, though, right? <clears throat> Two tonight, baby. And we got we to gotta tally the rest of the Tomahawk family um, staff to, to see who the winner and the leaderboards are. We got to check in on the, uh, the DraftKings stuff, too, because for some reason, Hawk – my lineup and your lineup got eliminated. It was probably because they were so good. <laughs> they were in such a huge lead that exactly. uh, I think never scored a TD, went in and deleted our lineups. Exactly, because I remember I picked Ryan Fitzpatrick as my quarterback, and I had <laughs> um, James Conner as my running back. I had Miles Garrett as my defense. So we gotta, we'll gotta, we figure out what happened with the technical difficulties. Um, I think that does it for today's Tomahawk. Appreciate everybody listening. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you rate five stars. Follow us on social at Tomahawk Show. Um, use the hashtag Tomahawk to give us any Q&As, comments, or anything you got going. Tell all your family and friends about the best podcast on earth. Joe, any final thoughts? My final thoughts are that uh, you shouldn't listen to whatever I say about the NFL because clearly I'm wrong. I picked the Saints to win the Super Bowl and Tampa to be the worst. But if you're looking for a ringer, Listen to what NFD says. If you're looking to bet on games, he seems to know what the hell he's talking about because he's <laughs> one of the biggest winners. All right, NFD, take us out like always. Chill hawk yourself.